every time you buy a product, it comes with a label on it. And oftentimes, almost every product seems like it has the warning labels of things to do, not to do, be careful of this, don't ever do this, stop doing this, don't even think about doing this. And uh, actually, uh, a magazine came up with uh, actual warning labels, kind of made them easy for us to read. So I want to take you through one of my top 10 Warning labels, let's check them out. Here's first one. Uh, caution, not intended for highway use, okay, no. Nope. Uh, uh, remove child before folding. Yep, probably should, good idea there. Uh, drivers do not carry burritos. This is a Chipotle a truck. Uh, do not, they don't carry burritos with them. Okay, here we go. Uh, caution, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. That is, this is a real warning label. Here we go, uh, warning, never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level on your snowmobile, so be careful. Okay, uh, uh, notice, do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. Kids, get out of the dishwasher again. Okay, um, do not iron shirt while wearing the shirt. Um, this is actually for, for real. I mean, not, you know, I've been tempted a few times. Okay, um, do not use while sleeping. Please, when you go to sleep, turn off your hair dryer. Don't bring it in bed with you. Do not do that, okay? Um, harmful if swallowed. Yes, I would, I would think uh, it would be harmful. Um, do not eat toner. You know the toner cartridges on the copy machines? Do not eat the toner. Okay, guys, um, that one's pretty obvious. Um, there's just certain reasons why products are made, and this is not a food group, okay? You know, a lot of these products have the phrase, for best results, you know, used by such and such a date, or for best results, completely unfold this item, or for best results, use in combination with such and such. So that phrase, for best results, I, I saw this one on a shirt. Uh, for best results, machine wash cold, tumble dry low, never iron design. For worst results, uh, drag through the puddle behind a car, blow dry on roof rack. So, you know, kind of, I appreciate the sense of humor there, but actually, guys, you know, if your goal is to keep the shirt really clean and nice and so forth, of course, that's what you want. But what if for some reason you wanted a, a, a shirt that was really muddy and dirty and didn't look good? Well, then actually this wouldn't be for the worst results. It would be for the best results. It all depends on what your goal is, whether it's the best or the worst, right? So today I'm going to talk to you about your life. We all want uh, this amazing life. We all want to make an impact. We all want to make a difference. We all want to raise our families well. We all, we all want to uh, uh, do our jobs well. We all long to, to see transformation in our character, if we're followers of Jesus at all. And, and so we're thinking, what's the best way to do that? We all want to see uh, lives transformed, see ourselves transformed. How do you do that for the best results? And what I'm going to suggest to you, we're coming to this passage today in the uh, book of Colossians. That the Paul, the letter that Paul to this small church, yeah, you know, two thousand years ago, we come to chapter one, uh, toward the end of it, and he's going to give them some kind of counterintuitive uh, advice. He's going to give them some counsel that doesn't really sound like what they would have heard in their culture and what we would ever hear in our culture today, 2,000 years ago. So this is very counterculture, it's very counterintuitive, it's upending conventional wisdom. So what I'm going to say to you today, right now, is for best results, everything that you're looking for, truly deep down, enduring, life-changing results, for best results, switch your goals. 
Because here's the thing, guys. Many of us, all of us at times, we feel like the Colossians did, these cultural pressures, these teachings that come our way, these alluring uh, alternatives to a, a real Christian life that come our way, that press against us, that tell us, do this instead of this. And they say, for best results, chase this. And what the Apostle Paul is going to put before us today is for best results, switch your goals. You're actually going to head in a completely countercultural, different direction. And in the end, it's going to be amazing. But it will sound unusual and stretching and uncomfortable at times. Okay? So let's go with this. For best results, switch your goals. He begins, we, we learned last weekend, uh, and we're now um, talking about the, this. Uh, the last weekend, we looked at the meaning of everything. And we said, what, the meaning of everything is that God is everything, Jesus is God. And we said, all of life is wrapped up in Jesus. He's what counts, he's what matters. And Paul had put his whole life into this, this good news about Jesus. And he goes on to say, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This good news about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection his ascension, his coming again. And the goal of Jesus, uh, he created a, a wonderful, amazing world. He's the creator of all things. But the world has gone its own way. We all have the fallen world. Jesus came to redeem that, to restore that. And he is in the process of the renewal of all things. We learned this last weekend, a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to make it amazing. And we're part of the kind of pilot team to, to be his hands and feet in a broken world. And that's the good news. And then one day, right now it started the process of the renewal of all things. What it happens to you through Jesus Christ will also happen through you to the world. He says we're part of this renewal of all things, this making everything new through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, through his life-giving spirit. He says that's the good news. Not that just you... You know, get forgiven of your sins, you die and go to heaven. That's, that's a great, amazing thing. But the gospel is so, so much larger and greater than that. It's good news. All world reconciliation. That is, everything that's gone wrong, Jesus through his death and resurrection, as people come to put their place, place their faith in him, he's, he's reordering everything and he's restoring everything that's gone haywire. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was ascended into heaven. He sent his whole spirit. Holy Spirit, and the, this good news is spreading everywhere. It's been proclaimed, and it's for all people, and even all creation needs to hear Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. And he says, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. And he doesn't expand here, but he hints at what? How he had been transformed. We, we saw last week how he had been an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of the church, a persecutor of the church. Jesus came to him, appeared to him on the Damascus Road after he was putting Christians in jail and persecuting them and seeing them uh, approving of their deaths. Jesus appears to him on the resurrect, uh, resurrect Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church, and since Jesus is the head of the church, the, the head of the body, he's persecuting. Jesus, when he persecutes the church, and he says, this man is my chosen instrument to bring this good news to all the Gentiles, to all those, yes, to Israel first, but then to all peoples, 
to be a blessing to all nations. And he says, Paul is the chosen instrument of God to bring that good news to everybody under heaven, all peoples under heaven. And, um, and from that day forward, he was changed. He was transformed. He goes, I become a servant of this gospel. I, I, this is what I devote my life to. This is what I live for. So what he's saying here is that my entire life has been transformed by the good news of Jesus. It has completely reoriented my life direction. What he's telling us is this didn't make my life better. It rocked my world. It has captivated me completely. It is not a part of my life. It defines my life. Jesus is my life. It, 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 when we think of making your life better, we, we certainly usually go in certain directions of certain definitions. Okay, I'll be more comfortable. I'll, I'll, I'll have more success. I'll have more prosperity. All this kind of stuff. It's not what Paul says. He says, I become a servant to this, this good news. And it has captivated my life. I am captivated by it. So for the best results in his life and in yours, the best results, switch your goals. Here's the first principle. We need to recenter our entire life focus. That's really the calling. To recenter our, our entire life focus. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna draw you uh, for you just a um a, a couple of ways of, of looking at this, okay? So when we talk about your life, you know, I mean you know, let's, let's draw this circle and let's have the center. And, and in the center of a lot of people's uh, life is comfort or prosperity or security or whatever. That's what's at the center. And basically all the areas of their life are centered and they're aiming toward this goal, the central goal of their life. That's the focus. That's their life focus. Now, for many of us who've come to become followers of Jesus, you know, we, 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 we say, well, that's, that's not true anymore. You know, I'm not pursuing this. And, but sometimes what happens is it's kind of a little bit of a fuzzy center there. But what sometimes can happen is that we view Jesus as like a big part of our life now. I've got these other areas of my life and Jesus is a big part of my life. This is Jesus. But Paul is saying that's, that's not captivated your whole life. What he's saying is, you're not developing your spiritual life. <laughs> it's, it's a lot bigger than that. He's saying, what, what he's saying here, now check this out, is he's saying that this good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is the very center of your life. Everything about your life, all your goals, all your ambitions, all your plans, all your habits, everything about your life is gospel-centered. Jesus-centered, the good news of Jesus. So now I'm reordering my entire life. So my job ultimately is about Jesus, the good news, the renewal of all things. Transformation through me, excuse me, transformation to me, so there's transformation through me. This is all of life now, and Jesus is at the center. And it's so easy to just kind of stay in this domain where there's kind of this fuzzy center and Jesus is a really big part of us. But what Paul says, it's captivated me. I'm a servant of this gospel. Does your whole life serve the gospel? 
That's what he's saying here. Does everything revolve, and, and we're not talking about the gospel like, you know, one message that you put on a bumper sticker. We're talking about the good news, the spiritual renewal and awakening to everything that Jesus wants to do in you and through you. Is that the center of everything? Is that what you get up in the morning thinking about? I'm going to serve Jesus today in everything that I do, in everything that I buy, and how I raise my kids and how I treat this person, how I, how, I, how I view my enemies, all those things, is Jesus really the center? Because, guys, that's what we're talking about here. If for best results, you have to switch your goals. The goal isn't whatever was culture said was important, comfort, security, money, whatever, happiness, whatever. It isn't a fuzzy center where Jesus is a big part of your spiritual life. It's where Jesus is the center of everything. So we recenter our life focus on the good news of Jesus. And it's all good news. You're going to have to hang on by faith with me on that one, okay? Just for a little bit. It's, but it is good news. All right, here we go. He goes on. Now, mm, hang on with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Did I read that right? Did I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. This is a somewhat difficult verse to understand. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body? What is he talking about there? Well, he's certainly not saying that something's lacking in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, his afflictions. It can't be because that would contradict everything he taught. So there's something else he's, he's, he's aiming toward. And I want you to remember his conversion experience. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting these Christians, or why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And so there's some, the, 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 the enemies of the gospel, they weren't done when they inflicted all this pain and misery and death on Jesus. He rose and triumphed over them, ascended into heaven, he's coming again. But they're now inflicting, like Paul had as a persecutor of the church, they're inflicting afflictions, persecution on Jesus. But now it's aimed toward his church. Now it's aimed toward his people. And this is true. I mean, every, guys, every single day of the year, believers in Jesus are put to death for their faith. And many of them, by the millions, suffer greatly every single day. And so Paul is in prison writing this letter, remember? Prison. Um, and he says, I, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. Uh, the message put it this way. I want you, paraphrase, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world. The kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in, the part, in that part, uh, in part of that suffering. He says, I'm willing to take one for the team. That's essentially what he's saying here. It's a part of the movement forward. I, I'm glad to suffer for the cause because the cause of the good news is so worthy to give my life. People are glad to suffer for other causes. They're, they're glad to spend their lives making money for this or they spend their lives on this cause or that cause. And by the way, many of those can be very good causes. But ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we're in for one cause and that's the good news cause, ultimately, ultimately, 
Everything I do at work, everything I do in my family, everything I do with my friends, everything is all aiming toward that center. Remember we talked about the center? And it involves taking some for the team. It requires suffering. Because they weren't done persecuting Christ when he ascended into heaven. Now it's my turn to suffer, says Paul. And for us, it's our turn to suffer as well. Sometimes we, we, we want this transformation. I want results. I want better results. But we want to skip the hard part of it. Uh, I've shown you this before, but the 24-7 fitness thing. Yeah, I, I'm going to go to the 24-7 fitness. But I'm going to take the escalator because that's, that's kind of hard, you know, going up the stairs. It, it, this is just nonsense, right? I mean, why would you be added to there if you took the escalator? And yet, so many times that's kind of what we are. The Apostle Paul wrote in another place, he said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He said in Philippians, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. I see sometimes at a stoplight, I pull up behind a car and it'll have former prisoner of war, Purple Heart recipient, wounded in the line of duty. And they're not ashamed of that. They're, 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 everyone can see that. They're, they're grateful and they're putting it out, out there. So everybody says, that you ask them, it was a privilege for me to suffer for my country. And in a much grander, more glorious way, ultimately, Paul is saying that's, that can be a part of, and certainly for all of us, the suffering that we do for the sake of Jesus, it's a privilege to be wounded in battle. It's a privilege, like Paul, to be a prisoner of a spiritual war. In the book of Acts, it records the other church. There was a speech made where they were going to um, kill the apostles, apparently. And one person um, argued against that and said, this is of God. It, if this is not of God, it'll fade away. If it is of God, there's nothing you can do. You'll just be fighting yourself, fighting against God. So he said, just leave them alone. So you're reading that in the book of Acts and you think, well, they'll let them go and just let them off. But no, they don't. They had had them imprisoned and then it says they called the apostles in and had them flogged. This is extremely painful beating. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That will teach them a lesson. Now they will be silent. Now they will be quiet. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So they didn't stop at all. In fact, that just propelled them. They never stopped. So they were willing and they rejoiced in the privilege it was to suffer for Jesus and the cause of the good news. It is people like that that change the world. It is people like that who get the best results of character and life transformation, who say it's willing to endure hardship because this is transforming me and through me it's transforming others and ultimately the world. This is the movement that changed and, and transformed the world. And it still is today. It is the only good news that really exists in the world. The gospel had made them into this amazing force of people and this is what we need now.
For best results, switch your goals. And here's the tough one. Embrace suffering for the rescue mission we're in. We're on a rescue mission. We're helping people. There's all these things going wrong and we're walking into the difficulty and we're saying we're embracing it and we know it's going to be hard. And the Coast Guard, the motto, or at least the saying it, you have to go out. You don't have to come back. The cultural goal is the opposite of this. We see this extremely common in our culture. It's the avoidance of any pain. You know, life's been hard. Just take it easy on yourself. Seek out your personal comfort. Run from suffering. Pleasurize yourself. Escape from this. Do this. And, and that, that just has gone so far, guys. So far. In fact, you know, the Apostle Paul says, take up the full armor of God. Hold that on there for just one second because I'm going to put on the armor of our culture right now. Okay? Hang with me. Okay, guys, this is the armor of our culture. Bubble wrap. Be careful. You might get hurt. Don't do anything dangerous. Don't do anything. And I get that, and safety is important and all that kind of stuff, and we need to take time for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. But guys, it can go too excessively until we, come, we become absolutely powerless in seeing any transformation in our life because all we want to do is avoid pain. No, 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 this is not, this is not the way. This is not the way. All right, you hanging with me there? This is not the way. We have to embrace suffering for the rescue mission. Let me give you a new goal to switch to. Expend yourself for other people. Accept and embrace that it will cost you. Be willing to suffer for Jesus. Guys, in our culture, it may get a lot harder. In fact, it's likely to get a lot harder before we see breakthroughs, spiritual breakthroughs and spiritual awakening. I'm just telling you, there's suffering and hardship in the Christian life. And, and sometimes we want to just wrap ourselves in the protective bubble wrap and we isolate and we just think of ourselves and our personal securities I'm not blaming anyone. It's just a temptation I have, okay? Anytime you attempt to live for God and truly get involved in spiritual transformation in your own life, in helping other people, you can absolutely count on challenges, setbacks, difficulties, persecution, hardship, pain. It's just a part of it. How can we belong to a movement, a religion that's major symbol is a cross, a, a, an instrument of torture and execution, and somehow miss this part of the message. How can we do that? And it's true in all of life, guys. It's true in shaping character. It's painful sometimes. Hardships of life and the chipping away that God does to make us more like him. Just ordinary trials and difficulties, and big ones sometimes. Working at friendships, hard. Making relationships work and pushing through the other side, difficult. Parenting, shaping a life of another person, challenging. Work, trying to show up, 
and demonstrate the character of Christ in some of the places that you have to go to? Tough. It's hard. I get it. Ministry, serving within the body of Christ. Difficulties come. Roadblocks come. Pushback comes. Reaching out to others outside of Christ. Serving others in the community. Sometimes rejection. Ridicule. It's all there, guys. I remember when I was at Trinity Seminary in Chicago, and um, I had a professor of practical theology. His name was Dr. Lloyd Perry. And this was, he was, a, he was an older gentleman. He'd seen a lot of ministry. And I never will forget him saying to all of us that day, he says, listen to me. You have your ideas now what the ministry is going to be like. But when you get out in your first church, it's a whole new ball game. And he just leaned, it's like he's serious as a grave. And he was right. We had no idea what we were getting into. None of us. Um, you know, let's talk about football. <laughs> football, it's a, it's, a, it's a contact sport. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan because that's my hometown. I like a lot of other teams, but if I have to go to team, it's the Colts. And we got a new, brand new quarterback, rookie quarterback, picked him fourth in draft. His name's Anthony Richardson. Here he is. He actually was drafted. He's just an incredible athlete, but he has actually very little college experience at quarterback. I mean, he's only played like 13 games in his college career. So it was a major uh, kind of risk, if you will, to draft him. And this past uh, weekend, he had his first game, and he, he actually played pretty well. And he was nominated for, you know, Rookie of the Week or something, the new rookie in, in the NFL. It wasn't perfect, though. And he made some mistakes. Um, and that's, there's rookie mistakes. Um, and as I watched that, and I was thinking about it, I said, here's the number one thing that Anthony Richardson, and I'm not, you know, he's, he's a great player, but thing that he is, is learning. And that is... Anthony, you're not in college anymore. This is the National Football League, and they're bigger, and they're faster, and they're stronger than you have ever played against. So welcome to the NFL. And he hopefully will learn and grow through this. And that's what I'm saying here. Paul's saying, you know, welcome to the big leagues. Welcome to the real life that it is to be an impacting, difference-making follower of Jesus. You're not in college anymore. And sometimes in college can be a great challenge too. Don't, I don't, I'm not taking away from that. I experienced that myself. I was reading this week, uh, Michael Green uh, was an amazing professor, uh, and he, he ministered in, in local churches. Um, he was a British guy, passed away just a few short years ago. But he wrote an incredible book on evangelism in the early church. It's kind of a standard work. And in one place, he compares the early church, the, the training that they gave the people in the early church, to actually, he compares their training to what the communists did when the communist revolution took place in, in Russia uh, in the early 1900s. 
And he said, he writes about them, this, uh, somebody writing about them, they said techniques were employed in which those learn, wishing to learn, they want to say, I want to grow. This is in, in the communist movement. They were thrown into the deep end where they were forced to learn or flee. One of these techniques was the use of small groups between three and 14 people who came together, not just for sharing opinions or for purely social motivations, but for learning some new information that would be put into practice immediately. These groups came together to determine how to be changed, how to bring renewal to their society. Their goal was to build dedication and leadership into all participants, and their methods of training contained some essential elements. And here's what they did, and you'll see where I'm heading with this, about the call to embrace suffering. First, they looked for and recruited those who were willing to be trained. They didn't beg people to come. Instead, they recruited the hungry. They prepared for the unreliable and uncommitted to walk away. They also looked for those willing to be changed. These sessions were not just about information, but transformation. Those coming to learn came ready and willing to be renewed for a higher goal and for a deeper calling. Up front, they asked for commitment, sacrifice, and a willingness to embrace unpopularity. The communists were not interested in recruiting the public with slick PR slogans. Instead, they wanted a committed core followers. Those came, come, coming to them understood the cost from the get-go. Students didn't come to be spoon-fed, but to become themselves teachers and transformers themselves. They understood that we learn best when we have to communicate what we are learning to others. They would be given a few chapters uh, or a few even thoughts from, uh, in a small uh, talk, and then they were sent out to immediately share that with other people. They would, might be randomly chosen to be present and to present it in their own language, in their own words. This, you know, this is what we're doing, guys. In, in our life groups. This is what we're doing in, our, in these rooted groups, is we're learning these dis disciplines and rhythms of life that will change and transform, and we want to communicate those to others, widely, broadly. And then the students would be expected each week to put into practice what they were learning. They weren't about throwing around opinions, but rather obedience to what was being taught. How will I put this into practice this week? And they knew that it might cost them dearly. This is what Paul is saying here. Embrace suffering for the rescue mission. And uh, I love what Tim Tebow said. You know, he was one of our good for all speakers. Tim Tebow said, you know, guys, when you think about a rescue mission, it's urgent. They never schedule rescue missions like a month in advance. <laughs> it's now. It's right now. Go, go. So is there an urgency in your heart to say, I'm willing to be transformed for that to happen to me and then it happening to me, it happens through me to others. Keep going. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you. So the Apostle Paul reiterates this idea, I've come here to serve not to get, not to consume, not to just, you know, uh, take in, but to serve. God gave me a commission for you. 
He's given each of us a different commission. We all have different gifts, goals, abilities, callings in life. Almost no one is called to be an apostle like the apostle Paul was. But we're all given a commission to make disciples of all nations, to, to, to love our neighbors, to share the good news of Jesus, to, uh, to do good works, build goodwill, share the good news. Um, and here he says, this commission was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That's what he's saying. To present the world, word in, of God in all its fullness, it's a, it's a rich truth, the, the good news of Jesus. It's full of, of incredible um, understanding. And for a long time, it was hidden but then it was finally revealed in Christ. It was hinted at and, and, and prophesied in the Old Testament. But then in the New, it came to be revealed in Jesus Christ. A mystery isn't something that we can't understand. A mystery is something that was a, was a secret that's now been revealed to us. It was hidden for ages and generations, longing for the, this to come. And finally the Messiah came and it was revealed in Jesus The meaning of everything God is everything Jesus is God. That's the meaning of everything. That's the mystery that everyone was looking for. It's now we're going to reveal to his saints, that's us, his holy people, the people who are set aside for special purposes. And you can make a difference. One person, just like the Apostle Paul, set aside for special purposes, you can make a difference. In your own life, through the good works that you do, through the honesty, integrity, through compassion and love and sacrifice and generosity, through uh, making peace with others, through forgiveness, through so many ways, you can make known the message of Jesus. And then through your words and sharing the, the message of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he longs to do. It is absolutely life-changing. And you can be a difference maker. He says in verse 27, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. God wanted this to go public. It wasn't just for a small group of people living along the Mediterranean Sea, along this little sliver of land. It started there, but it was meant to go global. It was always the intention of God to bless all the nations of the earth through Jesus of Nazareth. And now it's coming true. And it's a rich message. There is glorious wealth. You talk about prosperity theology. It's not about what the health and wealth preachers are telling you. That, you know, come to Jesus and you'll just be incredibly healthy and nothing bad will ever happen to you and you won't suffer and you will just be filthy rich. That is not the glorious wealth of the gospel. The glorious wealth of the gospel, he says right here, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the wealth. That's the riches that, get this, God himself, Jesus is God, is living within you. God has chosen to reside in you. Think of it. The creator of the universe, we looked at this all last weekend, has chosen to reside in you who believe in Jesus. He's come into your life and now God is at work in you. And there's the hope of glory. That is, God's got big plans. Glorious things. And hope isn't unexpected, that's sometimes the, uh, the connotation we have. Hope in the Bible is this confident expectation. It's this certainty that God's going to keep his promises. I'm counting on it. And it's glorious. He's got this incredible great plan of full redemption, forgiveness, redemption, 
renewing us and then through us the whole world and then the renewal of all things. This is going to end gloriously and it's already begun. He says, that's the real wealth, Christ in you, God dwelling within you. Incredible to think about it. So for best results, switch your goals. Don't think short term. Don't think little, small. Think big. Serve for the far-reaching good of other people. Throw your life into transformation that Christ does to you so that then Christ can do good through you. It's ministry. The word serve, sometimes translated minister. We often think of minister as like clergy. I don't get that really. Sometimes people refer to me as clergy. I don't even really get that at all. We're all in this together. I happen to have a a gift of pastoring. Everybody has different gifts. Yours might be uh, leadership. Yours might be administration. It might be helping other people. It might be um, uh, uh, serving in some way. It might be showing mercy to some people. And we all have these gifts and all of us have a little bit of all of those and we're using all of them for the far-reaching good of other people because we want them to experience what we've experienced. And what is that? Christ in us, the hope of glory. When you see the potential in somebody's life, and that's our mission, right? Mobilizing everyone's God-given potential to deeply love Christ and our neighbors, when you see the potential that Christ can do in you, and then you see, wow, we could see, I could see transformation coming through my life just through Christ in me. You say, I want to serve. If you want the best results of your life, it's not self-protection. It's not hunkering down and just thinking of yourself and me and mine. It's giving ourselves away for the sake of others. Now, I, under, I, I get boundaries. I get it. They're important. But that can go too far where it just becomes about me and mine. We have to get our rest. I need it. You do too. We we can't save everybody. We can't rescue everybody. I get it. But God has placed within your sphere people that he deeply cares about. And he wants you to deeply care about them. And to expend yourself, to give yourself like Jesus. Jesus called them together and said, you know... The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is the ransom, the sacrifice for our sins and dying on the cross for our sins. He paid the debt that we owed God through his sacrificial death on the cross. And then that is our hope. Trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. But it's also an example to us. Not so among you. Just thinking of yourself. Just grabbing what you can for yourself. Just it's all about me. It's all about, you know, keeping safe and comfortable. And, and no, it's about giving our lives away for the sake of others. Jesus is an example of us. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served... It's all about me, he says, but to serve, to give my life away for others' sake. God wants us to advance his cause, the cause, through you. And everyone in the church is invited and called into that. That's our commission. He wants you involved in the ministry. I'm not talking about pastoral ministry necessarily. Very few are called to that. I'm talking about just serving other people. That happens within the body of Christ. There's all sorts of opportunities to volunteer, to serve, and to give your life. And it's going to look different ways for different people. And don't think that it doesn't matter. It does. 
You, you, you think the smallest little thing you do, does that really matter? Yes, it does. Because it all, takes the whole body to do all these things. Some of them are well seen by others, obvious. Others are totally behind the scenes. But everybody pitching in makes it happen. Somebody said the average church in America resembles the NFL on, on, on a, every Sunday. And that is 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest. 50,000 people in the stands de desperately in need of exercise. Switch it up. Let's all get involved. Do you want an easy life or do you want a great life? If you want a great life, donate your life to pursuing God's purposes and get involved in serving in the body of Christ, in the workplace, in your community, for your neighborhood, Lots of ways to do that. But our lives are, it's not something I do. I do this, I volunteer for this, and I'm there two times a week, or I'm there for this an hour a day. That's great, and we need that. We need hundreds and hundreds of you to pitch in and help through everything that Valley Church does as a ministry and through everything we do through Community Bridges and the Valley Community Center. We need hundreds and hundreds of you. I'm gonna be really honest with you real quick. During the pandemic, we saw, you know, basically a complete drop-off of our volunteers. And that is kind of the last thing to come back. And I'm calling on everyone to step up and say, I'm going to volunteer again. I'm going to get involved. And if you never had, there's no guilt here, just jump in. Or if you've not been doing it for a while, here's the invitation. Just jump back in. It's time to serve. But I want to tell you, it will not be, it will not be easy. This is the path to greatness. And the difference between an easy life and a great life is your willingness to get involved in serving. You say, I don't have time. I know. I need me time. I know. I get it. The culture has told you you're a workaholic. It might be true. The culture has told you that you need space. That's also true. But for some people, what, they've been con what the culture has convinced you to cut back is a lie because they've told you to cut back on the things that are soul-giving to you. Time with worship, with God's people. Time with serving others in the body of Christ and in the community. They've told you, cut that all back. And what Jesus is saying is that's where the greatness is. That's where your life is. That's life-giving. When you give a it's, it's completely the opposite of what the culture says. It says when you give your life away, that's when you really live. When we lose our life, that's when we save our lives. And I'm not talking about disregarding all boundaries, but guys, maybe cut back some other things in your life. Maybe cut back, the culture has told you, you need to, your first grader needs to win the championship, and therefore we're going to practice five nights a week, and I'm saying nonsense on that. I'm calling that out and saying it's gone too far. Come back to your senses and say, maybe it's about giving my life away for the sake of others. I'm not against, I love art and recreation and sports. I, you know I love those things. And get involved in all those things. But guys, don't cut out the things in your life. And if you're a parent, do your kid, your child needs to have their character shaped and formed. Don't send them the message that church involvement is the last thing that we do. It's the first thing we do. And I'm not saying you have to be in 17 things, but choose 
things wisely and maybe cut back on the things that really aren't going to matter and that aren't character forming and life transforming for other people. You sort that through, okay? Everybody takes this message and, and kind of sorts it through. It can, it can easily drift into just a selfishness. And I, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but just be careful of that. What really feeds your soul is paradoxically pouring yourself out for other people. Um, Catherine Wolfe spoke at our church at our Good for All conference a while back. Here's a picture of Catherine Wolfe uh, in 2008. She was an incredible uh, person. She was a student and she was also, um, she was a print model. Um, and then she had, uh, after the birth of her, her first child, she had a massive stroke, life-altering stroke. And now she's permanently disabled and she came to this church and spoke. And I'm she talked about good hard, the good hard life. And one thing that she said was the good things in life and the hard things in life are not mutually exclusive. And we've been told by a lot of people that hard things are bad things. It's just not true. Some hard things are bad things. But there are some hard things and good things and they're not mutually exclusive. She's absolutely right. She said... Tomorrow is another day to show up to this holy and heavy life. It will always be tiring, so we might as well be tired getting out there and sincerely living it. These are great words. And I encourage you also to come to get registered as spaces are filling up for our Good for All conference. This is the grand finale of our Good for All conference. It's the, the last one we're going to have after five years. We're pivoting to some incredible things we'll announce at Good For All. But get signed up for this. It's going to be an amazing uh, time where we learn to, to truly do good for all. Um, the Apostle Paul ends with verse 28 and 29. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Ultimately, it's for me and you to be fully formed in Christ, to be Christ-like. And that involves biblical teaching. I'm happy to share with you that we're going to be uh, launching a very robust and uh, full-fledged, uh, we call it Valley U, coming starting this fall and then in 2024, uh, really taking on to a new level in partnership with uh, Trinity International University, uh, and with uh, Right Now Media, and also uh, with uh, lo uh, great local um, people within Valley Church giving great biblical teaching and discipleship and disciple making. So that's to make us mature, to really grow up. That's what we're starting and rooted, and that's why we're doing this in all of our life groups. And there will be more opportunities for those who, who want to grow up. But it's not just about learning theological things. It is important, and I believe in that, but it's also putting them into practice. And that's what we're doing. We proclaim him, he says. This is our calling, the mission of the church. God is everything and Jesus is God. We proclaim Christ. That's straight up our calling and our mission. We proclaim Jesus. That's what we're about. To become the very best followers of Jesus. We aren't here just to, 
to take in stuff, but to be transformed. And also to become, not only to become the best followers of Jesus, to deeply love Christ, but also to deeply love our neighbors, to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ, to reach the most people for Christ we possibly can. Because this message, he said earlier, is being proclaimed in all creation to every creature under heaven. Everybody needs this. Everybody needs Jesus. How are we ever going to fulfill this calling? He tells us, he says, I'm doing this by warning people, teaching people. Wisdom needs to be there. you got to have the right biblical balance and all this stuff so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. He says, I labor for this. This is an agonized word. I agonize for this. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. It is hard effort. So for best results, how are we going to uh, fulfill this call? We're going to have to switch our goals. We're going to have to strive relentlessly in God's strength. If we depend on our strength, if I depend on my strength, my puny little human strength, I get worn out, I get burnt out, I get bitter, I get grumpy. I'm no fun to be around, and I'm not doing any good for the kingdom. But you hit a gear when you are spilling yourself out for the sake of others, and you hit this gear where, wow, Jesus' strength is now flowing through me and I'm hitting this gear at this turbo that I didn't know I had because Christ's strength is filling me now. So away with the idea that the, that the Christian life is six flags over Jesus. <laughs> That's an unrealistic romantic notion of what the Christian life is about. It's not like that. It's boot camp. It's tough out there, guys, but it is glorious. It is amazing. It is the one cause that truly can transform you and transform our community and transform our nation and transform our world. But it has to be in his strength. It can't be in my strength. The difference for best results, switch your goals. Father in heaven, I pray today that everyone would just sink in, this message would sink in deeply, and that everybody would take away what they need to take away from this. I pray, God, that it would be clear, that it would be sort through and sift through all the things and give each person the one takeaway they need from today. And I pray, oh God, that you will give them the very best results to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. God bless y'all.